0: Vicki Abelson, and this is The Road Taken, and with me is my wingwoman, Louise Palenka. Hi, Louise. Hi, Vicki. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being... You, you're always so polite. Yeah, I try to be. Polite. It's nice to be polite, as opposed to some other people that we've heard of recently. <gasps> not so polite. Um, no and, nice. and I'm not even going to get started on the person that... I read some stuff on social... You know, I, I just want to say out there, last week... You read um, something rude on social media? <laughs> Last week before the show, first of all, it was Valentine's Day. Yes. Then there was the massacre last week. And, you know, I purposefully didn't allow myself to read about it last week because if I would have, I would not have been able to go on the air and we would have had to talk about it the whole show because how could anything else be relevant when, when children are murdered? And it's like, but, you know, we, we're here with a purpose and we had a guest and it would have been crazy to... So, you know, I, I kind of avoided it, but, you know, today... <laughs> the man that is the idiot that is in that house that is white, you know, is now advocating that teachers should have concealed weapons. And I just wanna say, they're talking about doing these um, national walkouts. The teachers are gonna do national walkouts. Students are gonna do national walkouts. I think p- we, parents, I mean, my kids are now grown. Uh, shout out to my daughter, Samantha, who was 20 yesterday. And my son, Harry Abelson, who's behind the camera for us. Tonight. Hi, Harry. Right. Um, uh, they're not in, they're in co- Smith Samantha's in college now. but. I think parents should also we all should should, should be at those walk walkouts. Yeah. This is insane, but anyway, but this is not a political show, and there are people who are far more qualified to talk about that stuff than i am you're 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 qualified I'm not um, this is not my area i'm blonde <laughs> although not really but anyway, but before we get into anything, I just want to say. I went and I finally had my hair done, which I really needed. Yeah, cute. Yes, right. right. You didn't say anything till now, but I'm assuming oh. that you meant you well, mean it. I walked in and you had broken glass, and Harry's foot was cut, and David was yes. lost. So there were some other pressing. There were concerns. there were other issues. Okay, really cute. It, okay, so I just want to say, um, my hairdresser, Nicole Venables of the Ruby Begonia Salon in Studio City. She does a ton of television shows. She's doing like a new Facebook watch. She does like has she has so many shows. She does a lot of celebrities. But she also does me, and mm-hmm. she also does regular people, mm-hmm. when she can fit them in. Because you're not She's, regular. She is amazing. I mean, it's not often, it's like never, almost never, that I walk out right after a haircut, and I just have this done and like it. I love it. I love her. Um, so the Ruby Pagonia Salon, check, check her out. And I also, um, you know, our, uh, our benefactor, our, our, our heart sponsor, oh, our other our heart mascot. sponsor. Is our Is it our mascot? Rick Smokey is our mask. I think where he is, I don't know. But anyway, Rick Smolke is, is, um, is, uh, has a printing company called Quick Impressions in Chicago. And just because they're in Chicago, don't let that throw you, because they ship everywhere, like here. Like he sent me tons of stuff to give out to the women. Remember I used to give out swag every single month, pads, calendars, mm-hmm. tissue boxes. Now I have bookmarks and great business cards. And mm-hmm. he does like all this kind of stuff and this kind of stuff, anything you need. And the thing about Rick is that, and everybody at Quick Impressions, they're just such good people. He's making me business cards. He is? Yes. And he'll do, and, 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 I'm, Dave, and, and, and I'm gonna tell our guest tonight, if he needs business cards, I mean, he just takes care of everybody we know. Um, he, heard, he told our guest, Phil Rosenthal, that he'll do any printing for Phil's charity, for their foundation. He does tons of charitable stuff. He's an amazing guy. That's the kind of person you wanna give your business to, because first of all, he's gonna give you a deep discount. Because you know us, but he's also like somebody that's going to take whatever money he gets, and he's going to put it back into and, philanthropy. And also, you just want to know him because he's you awesome. do. He's so cool. Yeah. He's an excellent person. And speaking of excellent people, I, I want to give a shout out today. Um, I had I, I'm in the process of um, doing some pitching and um, doing some and and looking to uh, to take us to. Uh, uh, a higher platform is that heaven I don't know but um but anyway I have people in my life I have mentors that I had the benefit of <coughs> I got a phone call from Anson Williams at like eight o'clock in the morning before a meeting I had because he had an idea <laughs> another idea for me Anson I love you he's like the smart. do you remember when he was on our show and he was mm-hmm. telling us all those stories about how he was he was like selling things at twelve yeah. and doing all these deals. So he tells me this other story. When he was nine, his uncle, I guess, decided so he wanted to it. he he wanted to make stationery with cartoon characters on uh-huh. it. So he ended up like making all this stationery. He had like a whole garage full of stationery, and he couldn't sell it. And so he comes home one day, and the garage is empty. And he walks into and goes, "Where's all the stationery?" And Hansons nine. He says, "I sold it." <laughs> <laughs> It's like, so, like, Anson says to me, you know, he says, I'm a shit actor. He said, I'm just a good marketer. I was able to position myself. He said, I'm done with acting. He's, like, writing a screenplay. He's got these alert drops that are, like, this amazing thing, saving lives. His uncle is, like, Heimlich of the Heimlich maneuver and gave it all. Anyway, Anson is amazing. It's a really, he, really popular maneuver. It's a, <laughs> it's a very... Going well with but him. Anson's <laughs> alert drops were amazing. He's going to be on the Today Show. There was a whole article written about it. But... But he's also like this generous spirit who mm-hmm. um, is in my corner supports me always has great he like came up with the the game-changing idea for me um uh, not the name I came up with the name but he came up with making it the name I can't it we'll talk about it but anyway I love you Anson and also I have Jeremy Stevens uh, my, uh, who I've met through Phil uh, I meet everybody through Phil Phil is my lifeline um, and um Jeremy has just talked me through life, everything about my life. And business, so savvy, so fabulous. I love you, Jeremy. He's a little dizzy these days. He's having some vertigo, so he's my he's my dizzy, he's my dizzy guy. Um, Ross Mark, I adore you. Ross, do you, have you met Ross yet? Just on Facebook. Okay, well, Ross is amazing. Ross was a producer on The Tonight Show, Chelsea Handler. He was at series. He was Last Comic Standing. Um, he's amazing, and he's in my corner. He, he's like always, like on, watching our show and on the thread, and very like supportive. making comments. Very supportive, giving me ideas. And then there's um, my manager Mark Pariser who's amazing, and who like talked me through rethinking what I was doing. I was going to go pitch like twelve projects at once, and he like just go in with one, Vicky. Mm-hmm. Just pick the one, you know. Just um, so I have all these men that keep me on track, and. And it's not that they're men and they keep me on track because I have a lot of powerful women in my life, like you, who are incredibly supportive and who have been there for me in amazing ways. And I'm so grateful for the people in my life. Mentorship is a really important thing. And for those of you out there who have something to give, you know, I, I have writer's workshops and the women who write group page and we have women who write. And mentoring is so important, not just for kids it's important for us big people too. Mm -hmm. And for those of us that have something to give and also just support in general um, and paying things forward. I had an experience uh, last week at the Women Who Write, um, well anyway, something happened and somebody was kind of not really nice to someone else and it really hurt her feelings. Mm. And so she um, let me know that and so I offered to do some free coaching with her and I apologized and told her how bad I felt. It wasn't me who had done it. But I decided to sort of try and do something to make her feel better because I felt terrible. And then she called me the next day and she said that she paid that forward and did the same thing with somebody else. And that's the way life is. So if you do crap things, like certain people that are in positions of power, crap shit happens. But if you do good things and you, and you pay it forward... Well, we all make ripples, so you want to make good ripples. You want to make good ripples, You want, and you want to share the love. And I have this incredible spiritual God squad that is just amazing, and I love them all. And they, they also talk me off the ledge. You know, there are some days when it's really, really hard to get out of bed. It's re- like, get some bad news, and it's really hard to carry on, and it's really hard to imagine. Like, it's, I just want to give up, and I don't want to do anything. And then I get reminded by somebody who's just saying the right words at the right time. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Today is like astrologically this brilliant day of like great energy, like great things are going to happen. So maybe our guest tonight is going to be like a pivotal person in our he, he already is. He pretty much is, yeah. right? He's mate. Well, we're going to get into those stories, but anyway. T- so Zoe Moon, my my Zodi, my astrological guru said, you know, today's like today's the, a money day today. Okay. So I didn't want to do anything when I got out of bed. I was like in a shit mood. I didn't want to do anything. I'm like, god damn it! I know today's supposed to be a good day. God- I don't want to waste this energy, so I listened to two, three Deepak meditations. Okay. And I spent the entire day sending all the emails I didn't want to send. Ah. And you know I did it. I just did it. So suit up and show up and do it anyway. And have people that support you and that can encourage you to do it when you don't want to do it. You know what I did? I feel really good about it. What'd I you do? Um, I cut the tags out of the back <laughs> of some new shirts. I'm really proud of you, of Easy. I don't mind. call you easy. It's weird when I call you so Easy. Because I really feel <laughs> like I've I've just I've just cleaned up yeah I'm saying hi to Penny I'm saying Ah. hi to Robert Craighead I'm saying hi to Christina Guzman I'm saying hi to Romeo Mark Wayne Philip Isaacson Nick played with uh, Buffalo Springfield I went to the um I'll have to ask David if he was there I went to the uh um the tribute to the Buffalo Springfield wild honey um, benefit Susan Susan Castle was there but you know Susan was really underutilized this year I felt kind of bad she only she sang a duet with someone and she really and then she's, she's the best been, one there she has the best voice yeah. and she there wasn't we needed more cowbell bell, more cow more, more yeah. cow yes we did we needed more susan but nick was amazing Aww. maybe like the best song of the night he was amazing and mickey our friend mickey Dolans was there he sang he was incredible oh my god um um oh i'm spacing on his name he was supposed to be the leads oh my god um oh he was supposed to be the lead singer in led zeppelin David, Terry Reed. thank you. Terry Reed was there, and he was <laughs> up and he was like raspy and shit. But you know, it was Terry Reed. Terry, I've never seen Terry live before. That was fantastic. And um, um, the the guy, Foray, um, uh, Richie, Richie was uh, did like five songs. Oh my God, he's still an amazing voice. That was, a, that was fantastic. Sid Straw, friend Sid, was, was the comic relief of the night. She was she hysterical. Was it was pretty fantastic. Wild Honey, great. They benefit, um, uh, work to benefit autism, to raise money, to benefit uh, mm-hmm. autism, yes, which uh, is a cause dear to the heart. Yes. So anyway, uh, I also want to just do um, one last shout out. Um, this Tuesday, in the living room, is going to be our friend, Michael Nori. Ooh. And I'm sorry, but when he sat down with us, I mean, dreamy yeah. in every way, um, to look at. Ooh. But he's deep. But yes, he is, he's got, he's very soulful, very, very spiritual, very funny, very charming. Yep. Um, he's wonderful. Also in the living room on Tuesday, we're going to have Bill Barnett, who is like Emmy and, and he, grand. I don't, he's, He's written like a million shows, music for shows, sh- the scripts for shows, but he's such a funny singer-songwriter. He's fantastic. Our good friend Anthony Fedorov is going to be here. Yay. Yes, Yes, uh, season four finalist for American Idol. And Anthony wrote when, when the gun violence happened, when the massacre happened on Wednesday, Anthony sat down and wrote a, wrote a song immediately about oh forget your, so- your thoughts and prayers, take away the gun, ban the guns. And he's going to be here. He's going to sing that and a couple of other, his other songs, and Maggie Rowe, I hope, is going to be here with her book. Maggie writes on Arrested Development, and um, she, um, her father-in-law, Jim Valley's father, is um, not doing well right now, and so they're with him, but um, I'm hoping that she'll be able to be here on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's going to be a great day in the living room, women who write, and uh, you can look on my Facebook for that information, and if you're not in L.A., it'll be live on the Facebook at 11 o'clock Pacific time. Um, and we've been talking about a lot of things. I think it's time to get to our guest. So yes. let's talk about our guest. Yep. So last week, Ross gave me big shit because I was reading credit. I'm not reading because I know about this guy. I don't have to read about him. Okay. David Wilde, contributing editor for Rolling Stone. He, he's he been on the cover of Rolling Stone. Okay. So it's not his picture, but he's written cover stories. Keith, no, More than his name. like His story. The story that he wrote featured on the cover of Rolling Stone. Keith Richards, Johnny Depp. Um, I gave my book to Johnny Depp, but he knows Johnny Depp. He knows. If you go down David Wilde's Twitter feed on any given day, mm-hmm. the pictures of David with, um, so today I asked him to please send me a few pictures of him with celebrities because I just wanted to do something silly. And in less than five minutes, I got a picture of him with John Travolta, a picture of him with Justin Timberlake. He <laughs> knows Justin like really well. He, oh, and David has written and produced the Grammy Awards for like ever. So he knows everybody. Bruno, everybody! Um, so yes, and he sent me a picture with Paul McCartney, and he sent me a picture with Bono, and, and these are not selfies like I take when I get in the, in the presence of someone like that, and I have to do the begging and the pleading. Mm-hmm. These are pictures that he's taking because they're friends, and because they're colleagues, and they're working together. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like a big step up. And then I, I said that he was a two-time Emmy winner, but actually he had a career because, no. He said, no, I didn't, I, I'm, I'm a, an Emmy loser. He's he's very funny, which is very what I funny. I did not, okay, so I know David, yeah. because our friend Phil Rosenthal. Also very funny. Very funny. Phil. <laughs> Everybody loves Phil. Um, Phil has those movie nights that we talked about when he was on our show. So I've met David a number of, you know, I, I said a couple, no, I can't even count how many times at movie night I've seen David and. For some reason, I don't know why, we never really talked at those movie nights, which is crazy, because now that we know each other, we will, because our lives have intersected except he's successful. But um, we know a lot of the same people, and, and we've probably been in a lot of the same places, but he's been backstage, and I've been begging to get closer to the stage, or fighting my way. His wife has a really good badge. His wife, She's And his wife gets it. good laminates, laminate. we found out. And David's also a best-selling author, because yes, so yeah, so I had an Amazon bestseller. David had legit bestsellers, (laughs) and he's written books about friends, because he knows the friends. Oh my God. So anyway, we're going to have David come on out and like... Yeah, um, like
1: eventually he'll be here, right? Like now, finally,
0: like I'll shut up. You know, (laughs) by the way, I just want to say last week, at this part of the show, Uh I'm supposed to talk, although it'd be nice if I let you say a couple of words now and then. It's, it says it's Vicki Abelson's The Road Taken. Yeah, but you're, you're... It doesn't say, in parentheses, let Wheezy talk. But, it's, but, but, but it is, I always say, with Louise Palenker. And, and I'm very happy to have you with me. And I love when but you I think, do... David when I, We're going to bring David out in a second. I just want to say that last week I had been on a cleanse. And I did not know it was giving me too much energy. And so I didn't shut up for like the first half of the show, so as soon as we bring, I've talked a lot right now, Mm -hmm. but I've also had a little food. Ah, So now when I bring David out, I can ask questions and shut up. Mm -hmm. So um, will you remind, will you like give me the high sign when it's time for me to shut up? Um, (laughs) (laughs) So right now, so without any further ado, let's welcome our guest tonight, David Woo! (laughs) You thought you'd never get on camera. Oh, first all, David.
1: First of all, there was so much talk about Anson Williams, I want to talk about Donnie most.
0: Yay. I love Donnie!
1: Donnie's oh, done our gosh, show too! I don't know Donnie, no. I, don't know. <laughs> I really don't think you should have either one of them. Uh, yeah, I mean, Popsy, I Ralph the like, Knack, it doesn't really matter to me. I love them both equally. And I would like to talk about my hair squad, my glam squad. They've been working, obviously, for months just to get me ready. I'd like to thank the entire gang at the a homeless shelter that did my hair. <laughs> uh, yes.
0: Okay, David. So um, I we we, taught, we we you already told us so many great stories that I don't even know where to so begin. I can it. The, yeah. All right. So before we get into like all the show busy stuff, I really want to know. Had I love the fact that you know most of the time the people that we have on the show are people that are in front of the camera. They're the ones making the music. They're the ones. that... By are,
1: definition, the people you have on the show are in front of the camera.
0: Mm-hmm. That is a good point. Yes. But not only in front of our camera, but oh, in front of other all cameras. Ca- other cameras, right? So yeah. they're, they're actors, they're, you know, all of that kind of stuff. and they're What musicians.
1: you mean is I'm not just a pretty face. You
0: are not just a pretty face. Clearly. No, and and, and it's really wonderful because because this show, I don't know if you know about the show, this show is called The Road Taken because...
1: I wanted to be here because I'm a woman who writes. <laughs> I completely feel like Fucked we, up. Wait, we're I'm having, on the wrong show. No, you're kind <laughs> of back to women
0: to write. We're, yeah. we're having you back to women to write because you qualify. You have uh, bestsellers, which I'm we're going to talk about. But what I really want to know about is because, you're, because you've done a lot of the stuff that a lot of our viewers yes. aspire to be successful at. You produce, you write, you've had bestsellers, you've been nominated for Emmy Awards, you know everybody. I've lost
1: daytime Emmys, nighttime Emmys. <laughs> Any time of day, I'm losing Emmys.
0: All right. So I want to know about you, about David. About yes. how, how, how your career... Okay, so you're a little kid. Where'd you grow up?
1: Tenafly, New Jersey. Born in New York City. Okay. Grew up across the bridge in Tenafly, New Jersey. It's so sad when right. you end up going to Jersey. No. Was
0: was that good? Was that a good
1: childhood? We don't have time for this. This <laughs> is, this is uh, that's women who go to therapy. It's a different series entirely. Uh, you know what? I uh, yeah, I, I'm not complaining. I'm not here to complain. Yes, it was a. I grew up uh, a poor, rich Jewish child.
0: A poor, rich. I like that. Were you privileged? Did you grow up privileged? I grew
1: up pretty spoiled, mm-hmm. but you know, uh, but sort of like a split, divorcing home where I went between a lot of affluence and a lot of sort of less affluence Mm -hmm. and uh but i found a lot of solace in music which ended up being my road out of the non-ghetto
0: i love that okay what was when you were a kid what's the first thing you wanted to be when you grew up
1: the first thing i wanted to be was literally a writer for rolling stone oh stop and i can tell you that the interesting thing was i went to a prep school in connecticut when Mm -hmm. my family blew up uh as a sort of i was sort of you know, uh, like airdropped in Connecticut. <laughs> <a place> <laughs> they
0: didn't have airdropped back then. They did. air
1: airdropped me to uh, <laughs> Lewis Chafee in Windsor, Connecticut. Yeah. And uh, years later, I was back at the school a couple years after graduating and mm-hmm. ran into an old guy over my dorm and he goes, So you're working at Rolling Stone? I went, Yeah. He goes, What? I went, Yeah. He goes, I was joking. You ah. used to say in prep school that you were going to work at Rolling Stone. And I literally got my dream job. And I mean, just so lucky. And it was really because of a writer. It was because of a guy named who just had his 90th birthday, William Kennedy, who wrote Ironweed. Wow. Uh, was a visiting professor at Cornell. Mm-hmm. And I was the. Ooh, you were uh, Ivy Lee. Lower Ivy. <laughs> Hot Lower <and> Ivy. Ivy, <laughs> the, I, <laughs> Ivy adjacent. Uh,
0: Cornell's <laughs> Ivy. I'm sorry. It's Corn- lesser Ivy. Ivy. No.
1: It's like shitty dying <laughs> Ivy. No, I love no. Cornell. Uh, but. Uh, What was
0: your major
1: at Cornell? I actually was in a program called the College Scholar Program that was if you did well enough freshman year, Mm -hmm. you could make up your own major. And my major I made up was, uh, I called it arts, creative arts writing I think it was. And I got very, very, I was the arts editor for the Cornell Daily Sun, which was a daily paper. Basically I worked for the paper for four years and sort of took some classes and whatever I wanted in creative Uh writing. But my big break was that William Kennedy was a visiting professor mm-hmm. the year before Ironweed came out and they won the Pulitzer prize yeah. and he was oh this God. writing professor who was the only professor I got very close to he taught me everything I know about writing was a great supporter of mine and then the as I graduated he won the Pulitzer and he recommended me to Esquire magazine and I went right from my college my to working at Esquire as an intern for th- four months until they hired me and I was there for two years started a record column which Jan Winter heard about and asked me to come to Rolling Stone which was my dream. Okay, So you oh didn't
0: even gosh. have to apply to Rolling
1: Stone you got
0: invited no, to write no. for Rolling and Stone.
1: Years ago I went and did like all these college uh, lectures and people would say what's your advice and my advice <laughs> is to go to your college and look for a guy <laughs> who looks at you about to win the Pulitzer Prize <laughs> and then hang on for dear life. Well, what I, do they
0: look like? They I look mean, very <laughs> smart. Very, very yeah.
1: smart. They look like William Kennedy who wrote Iron Great guy. And I just... What's great is like um, the, a week or two ago, he turned 90, and uh, they asked me to do... Like, I made the cut to do a video for him for his little birthday montage, and I'm like, I, that's all, that's only fame I wanted so that I could be on his montage, because he, he changed my life. He literally just sort of wrote... Uh, first, he helped me get a job at a magazine called The Movies. Uh, and then he helped me get a job at uh, David Hershey, who was an editor. at Esquire, gave me a job at Esquire. And that's, really, I, I don't, I'm not very good at networking. So I think if I hadn't had those giant steps put in front of me, I never would have gotten anywhere.
0: But, you know, this speaks to what we were talking about earlier about mentors. Yes. And how important mentors are. Is this is this something like? Do you have anybody in your life that you or I have, known have one in ever, my life. Have you have you ever <laughs> paid it forward? To, do you do you aspire to paying that forward?
1: You know, it's really interesting you say that because a couple year, I, a couple years ago, I said to my wife, like, I can't believe I've hit this point in my life where I think, what have I done? Because I lost both my parents in the last few years. Sorry. Last year, I lost my mom, and it makes you take a little bit of... I, I take no stock. I don't actually... I'm not a very <laughs> introspective <laughs> individual. But even a shallow person when their <laughs> parent dies take a sec, takes a second or two to go, what am I not doing? And also my kids... My wife and I are empty nesters as of <laughs> this year. Yes. It's... Uh, it's brutal. Yeah. It's, it's, it's absolutely it brutal. It was rough. And uh, it made me think I haven't been good enough about trying to help other people. The sad fact is... It made me also realize I'm not quite successful enough to help anyone. I'm sort of, <laughs> sort of successful enough to help myself. You and, are uh, extremely no, no. successful. and like, like, but like, I have made real concerted efforts. Like, uh, like I was asked to do some big sort of live TV event, mm-hmm. and it was right too close to the Grammys, and so I said, "Listen, I'll mentor someone, and I want to give. I'm suggesting you hire this person, give them a break. I'll I'll work with them." And well, no one, but go. no, no one ever wants to do. It. No, one, I can't get. I try. I'm, I'm, I'm saying I'm trying. I'm doing a little, I see. but I'm not. quite, I really have to make a concerted effort to be more successful so I can help more people. You, well,
0: you know what I think it's about, maybe David, is bringing them in when you're there, letting them sort of be on the on the set with you or whatever you call it right. in the office with you being your sort of shadow your assistant whatever so that people get to know their face and figure out who they are and see what they do and maybe they can I'm not I mean who knows how, how well, it's it's well I did <laughs> just
1: give and we just did the Grammy Elton John tribute and I was able to take a young kid named Phil Rosenthal I just, I was and just let him say, let him shadow me I, I just, so that he could learn how writing is done and I really Mark my words, this kid is going to do very well.
0: You know, I I was going to mention that because I saw on on Phil's feed the picture of him standing with, like, two feet from Elton John, and he was losing his, he was fanboying out. And
1: uh, You know what, that's, I think, part of the key of why Phil is Phil and why why a lot of the people who are very, very successful, like him, Mm -hmm. not like me, uh, (laughs) but, like, Phil at this Elton John, like, rehearsals, like Lady Gaga's performing and he goes right to the front row. He's so interested and engaged mm-hmm. in everything and he hasn't lost his sort of passion for it, which is fantastic.
0: It's fantastic. And yeah. and he also he is a fan. I mean, he carries a picture of of him and Bruce Springsteen around in his wallet. Yeah. And and which his... is
1: charming and creepy. <laughs>
0: Those, and and his joke was that Monica said you don't look like that happy in our wedding photo. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah.
1: like well, <laughs> let's not work. Who am I to criticize their marriage?
0: Yeah, no, their marriage is fantastic. Fantastic. It's they're, they're the most amazing couple. They're much
1: happier than I am.
0: <laughs> and uh, I love the way he calls her Mrs. Rosenthal. He's. It's, it's I also right call
1: now. my wife Mrs.
0: Rosenthal,
1: <laughs> hoping that she gets into his will. Did you Did you money. see the
0: little teaser that his parents did for um, for every, somebody feed Phil? Yes, of course. Maybe the funniest thing ever, and and, the, and then Phil put up on his Instagram that the best uh, supporting parents. Oscar goes to the Rosenthal or whatever they are the cute. They, they need their own television show. They're so cute. I think so. They're adorable. All right. So, so, so you get ha- So this amazing so you so you. Want, all right.
1: I walked right out of college into Esquire magazine for two years, then to Rolling Stone. And then because of what was going on politically there. After two years, they made me the music editor of Rolling Stone, which was great except it was during those years when Rolling Stone was 400, 500 pages an issue. And I'm right out of school, <laughs> and I, my dream was always to be a, a Rolling Stone writer. Okay. And I sort of fell into being an editor, and I, after a few years, realized, I want to write. I want to actually Oh, you weren't able have the to write experience. when you were editing? Well, I was, it was and, but it was so busy because there were 500-page issues. Right. So at a certain point, I went out for the magazine uh, to the West Coast to do a story on... I think it was a cover story on Sinead O'Connor, wow. which was notable because we did it at the Source restaurant on Sunset, and we sat in the front where it's really loud, and I couldn't understand one answer she said. She <laughs> I was can't like, understand it's eyes. quiet. She was just, you know, and it's like, you would think she would sort of say really quietly, because she could be going, like, puppies are nice, but she was saying, fuck the Pope. But, but, but she, fuck the Pope, puppies are nice. I, I didn't know until I transcribed was like, holy shit. I can't believe this woman was saying all that, but I did a Sinead O'Connor cover story, a Winona Ryder cover story, and a Joni Mitchell interview all in like I ended up staying there for like three weeks. And Jan Winter said, after seeing my bill from the Sunset Marquee, why don't you just stay there? And I was like and be the West Coast Bureau Chief. And I was like, done. And that's you know, if that hadn't happened that changed your life. Changed also. my life, because it, it's why I fell into television. Because we did a Rolling Stone TV special in 1994. Mm -hmm. And I believe we have... I was interviewing like Howard Stern and uh, Spielberg and all these people. Wow. And the producer um, Mm -hmm. of that show said, you're making these people laugh. Maybe you should write jokes for the MTV Awards, which he was producing. (sighs) And that is how I fell into TV. And then a year or two, a couple of years later the Grammy said the four days before the show Whoopi Goldberg dropped out as a host John Stewart came and they asked in. you to host yes exactly <laughs> and I killed it as Whoopi Goldberg um, because I needed a Jew and uh, so then I, I literally four, four days before the show was called in to work with Jon Stewart it was actually Jon Stewart and the writers who John brought in to help him so we all I sat in a room with Jimmy Kimmel Adam Carolla John Stewart Oh my that was, God. you know, which is a very diverse group. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that was like my one of my white first shows. White boys, should write. Exactly. Yes. There are still white people in this. White group. Jews. You white know. Jews. Corolla. Who, well, you know. No. 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 Camel, no. Camel, Corolla. No. Am I? Who else? Oh, John Stewart. Yes. Yes. Half Jew. <laughs> Half breed. I learned to hate the word.
0: Um. <laughs> so all right. So wait. Let, let's go back a second. How did How did you? What? How did writing start happening for you? Since that's your passion.
1: Uh, I wrote for my middle school paper, record column. Uh, I wrote for my college paper.
0: When did you figure out, like, when you were a little kid? Yes. um, Like, was English your favorite subject? And, like,
1: did you know, did you know that? It was my only subject. I I mean, when you asked about being a major, what I majored in, I had to become a college scholar, because otherwise I would have had requirements like math and science. (laughs) And I'm afraid of math, I'm afraid of science, I'm afraid of other languages. Mm -hmm. All I could like to do was read and write Mm -hmm. and music. Mm -hmm. So I put it all together in a major, and then I put it all together in a career. But you
0: obviously did well in school to get into Cornell. I mean, you, you had to have done well.
1: I did just well enough, I think. And my dad went to Cornell, so I think I was... That legacy. Oh, they
0: don't do legacy anymore. They don't do legacy. Anymore. Legacy's gone. You got I believe legacy. I was a legacy. Nice, nice. Well, you know what? It doesn't matter because you earned your, you earned your C. I earned
1: my way to the lower I. You, you earn your C. Yes. Okay,
0: so, so you're, so writing, writing the passion. You are very funny, clearly. Very. Um, and so, so you get tell you to my wife. now, you get to now, be writing for the Grammys. Writing so, um, and meeting your hero. So what is this like for you as this kid from new jersey who is not only getting to write cover stories for rolling stone and being editor and the music editor and doing all of these incredible things and interviewing all these incredible people but you're interviewing all these incredible people
1: yeah no it's what's great is i feel like i've had this weird career that has allowed me to work with a lot of my heroes in a variety of ways because i got to know a lot of them as a journalist Mm -hmm. and then a lot of them have hired me to work with them on their own projects or I work with them on these events because my sort of weird world of show business Mm -hmm. is events so that like you know I was we were just in New York doing the Grammys in Madison Square Garden. The last time I worked in Madison Square Garden I worked with the Pope. on his Madison Okay, Scott that's Arden just meeting. a
0: really weird credit. Does Sinead like this Pope? <laughs> no.
1: I think she might like him more. I loved him. I actually, do you remember when Sinead had the famous, after she did Saturday Night Live and ripped up the picture mm-hmm. of the Pope, she went to a Bob Dylan tribute and was booed off stage. Yes. This is my zelig like weird life. <laughs> I was on the side of the stage talking <gasps> to my late great friend, groomsman at my wedding, Howie mm-hmm. Epstein from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. May mm-hmm. he rest in peace. And Chris Christofferson. And if you ever watch footage of what happened, Sinead was booed off stage and then went to seek comfort from three figures on the side of the stage. <laughs> it was the two of us and Chris Christofferson. Howie and I were of no use and fled <laughs> the other direction. And Chris Christofferson, being the romantic leading man, Rhodes Scholar and genius, he like told her exactly the right thing and Aww. hugged her. Aww. He might have caught a feel, who knows? It's Chris like <laughs> Exactly, but that was, my life is full of those weird moments moments where I'm on the edges of my dreams, like of... We have to talk uh, about
0: some, you have to tell us some more of those, we we need more of those. So uh, who, can you talk about like some of your heroes and what it was like to meet them? Good end, maybe not so good? Yeah,
1: um, most have been good, and what I have to say is, what I found is like, most of my greatest heroes have been... Fantastic experiences. Bob okay. Dylan. I spent four hours having a meeting with him at his request, and it was and it was so, and it was great because I actually went to a hotel suite with him, mm-hmm. and I named my son after him. I mean, I'm oh. I, he made me want to write. He's the guy for me. To me, he's the greatest writer of our times, bar none, uh, hero. Yeah. And uh, but then he called me in for a meeting on a project. I can't okay, really... Okay, so
0: know. wait, how did he come to know you to request you?
1: Uh, I had written some liner notes for mm-hmm. him, I think, and in which I had been told, no adjectives. That was his rule. <laughs> which, if you which, is also Ste- Dylan, which is
0: also Stephen King's rule, which is, as a writer, I...
1: See? There's some good it, stuff. Like, it's it's yeah, a good rule. Nouns and verbs. <laughs> that's what he said. And it's like, <laughs> that's part of his secret. and You yeah. learn things like that. But uh, I was in a meeting with him, mm-hmm. and it you was... You took a really good impression, by the way. Uh, not really. Uh, I did it to him. Like, Did you? At times, because the thing is, there's a half an hour meeting where you can keep your shit together better. But if you're with someone for three hours, you end up letting your guard <laughs> down. And at one point, he like I made some joke to him about a movie he's in, a terrible movie with Rupert Everett, called uh, Hard to Handle, Hard to Handle, I think it is, Hard to Hold, Hard to handle. Hard to Hold. Okay. And uh, in any case. There's a fight scene in it, mm-hmm. and it's the worst fight scene in history. Where Bob Dylan goes, "Hey!" and he tries to <laughs> throw a punch at Rupert Everett because they're fighting over Fiona, the heavy metal, the chick rocker of the '80s or Bob's '90s. Bob's a
0: romantic figure in this movie.
1: It's like a love triangle. It's a terrible movie. Wow. But I, I, was saying this to him, and uh-huh. I went, I realized I'm doing Ugh, yeah. to the guy, <laughs> and he, you know, he took it, which was amazing, and I just like little certain things like. I remember when I was leaving, I mean, I'll tell you, the weird thing is, in the middle of that meeting, this is right. how surreal my weird life can get, is I, had a, I realized I had a call with Kevin Spacey, which was a time when, now I'm not having many calls with Kevin Spacey. Nobody uh, is. But he was hosting a show, a tribute to John Lennon, okay. right after 9-11. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had to actually say to Bob Dylan, can I have 10 minutes to call Kevin Spacey? And I do remember very vividly going to the bedroom. You
0: live, you live quite a lot. Exactly.
1: I went to the bedroom yeah. and called him. And I said, Kevin, I really have to call you back. Uh, but I'm in, he goes, why? I go, I'm in a meeting with Bob Dylan. And he went, I guess that's pretty good. <laughs> but I will say this, and I I I only know my dealings with Kevin. But right. I will say that the one moment I'll never forget from that is, and I haven't said this, but what the hell. Uh, at one point, I just said, I'll just tell you that for this Lennon show, my idea is that you first, this number begins, and then you come out. And he goes, David, I'm never coming out. <laughs> and I went, <laughs> holy shit, I guess he just did. Uh, but That's that That's hysterical. Uh, oh, yeah, then I went back to Bob Dylan mm-hmm. and had a meeting, and oh, all I can tell you is, I learned a lot just from the meeting, I realized real geniuses are non-linear. Like, or there's ah. a, a certain type of genius who, like, we had a great meeting, uh-huh. but I had to go home and be home for five hours before I processed how he was thinking, because he was not... it was he's, he's genius, and I'm not, and I had to catch up, sort of, and maybe, I'm, to the extent that I caught up, I really only sort of interpreted what he was telling me for, like, five hours later. And But I do remember, as I was leaving, he, uh, he goes, you have boys now. You know, I go, yeah, yeah. He goes, let me get him some cookies, and he called down... And he was in a hotel in Los Angeles, where he lives, because he's Bob Dylan. And uh, (laughs) he ordered, ordered, like, black and white cookies. The best. And wrapped them in a hotel napkin. And I was like, I love Bob Dylan, because he's not only the greatest writer of all time, but he also is a nice old Jewish guy who's going to order cookies (laughs) for you to bring home to your kids. That's, like, like
0: the sweetest thing. I know people who, like, bring their kids over to his house to play with his grandkids. And he opens the door himself and, like, he brings people... Yeah, he does that stuff.
1: But, again, like, my weird wife... Uh, cause, let's make this about me. Well, it is yeah, about no, no, you. No, this no it's is, fine. This is but your... Sh-
0: I'm
1: home one night with my wife and uh, Jacob Dylan calls, who I know, and a oh. great guy. And Jacob calls and goes, I'm getting a doctorate. I need a joke. And, like, he's literally on the side of the stage at some Midwestern university about to get a doctorate. And I was like, okay, say... Uh, you know, as a Jewish man, I have to tell you that this is a big night for me because uh, my parents wanted me to become a doctor, but unfortunately, I wasn't smart enough, so I had to go into the family business. <laughs> and I said, "Only you can tell this joke." And I, he told me it killed at the Midwestern University, I love where they'd the never fact heard of that Jew. He could
0: call you and you could come up with that on the spot. That's pretty great. That's what, my wife
1: says, I'm not good, but I'm quick, although she said that in a different context.
0: <laughs> that's, that's like really uh, that's very impressive. That's very it's impressive. Something. Well, it's why you get. To, it's why you write the Grammy Awards and why you're writing the Independent Spirits uh, currently, and it's why you, you get paid the big bucks to do this it's stuff.
1: That's why I get paid the modest bucks.
0: Yeah. So, all right. So, and um, why you modest? You're modest about it all. So, okay. So, Dylan. So, the the lesson oh, from you asked Dylan, heroes. Yes. So,
1: Dylan taught me a little bit. Just that okay. So wait. So the earth. lesson
0: from Dylan. Adjectives. Anything else you can share with us that you got from Dylan that day that you took with you? I Do you just, remember?
1: I mean, one thing that was amazing to me yeah. was he was just coming from an interview with Rolling Stone. And he went, he walked in, and I'll, I don't know if he'd like this, but he said, the first thing he said to me is, ah, oh, David, fucking interviews. And it was such an insight into. I've spent my whole previous life, first part of my life, doing interviews. Right. And what journalists should fucking know mm-hmm. is that that's what these icons say because they've done a million of them and what I took from that is don't ask the same question because I'm sorry what Bob actually said and I call him Bob because I have no right to (laughs) Uh, Bob said what he said was fucking interviews still asking me still asking me why I went electric how interesting and I'm like oh my god like and that's I've thought about that every time, because I still interview people in different contexts, and mm-hmm. I am interviewed, right. and that's the rule. Don't ask the question you know they've heard a million times. Find a way to Should ask, it I, a ask new way. it I asked
0: David, like, what his favorite, who his hero No, was, no, like, that was good. Been asked that like, I No, no one ever talks
1: to me. <laughs> no, but I mean, I'll tell you, I, I, it, another legend who mm-hmm. I love is Neil Young, mm-hmm. and I was once sent out by VH1 to interview him for, like, it's like, they were doing... Three rockumentaries and he was gonna all of them, and they said, "I'll give you three hours to do all of them." And then I got there, and it was like, "Okay, you have a half an hour to do all I of them."
0: I can't those. imagine anybody
1: who hates that stuff more than Neil no. Neon hates it more than anyone. And but, like anyone, oh, no, right? No, he feels this is he quit Buffalo Springfield. Yeah. He went <laughs> see because he thought the camera steals your soul. <laughs> but on top of that, yeah, I'm told okay, you have three hours. It's only half an hour, and then VH1 sends me some last-minute email. Or letter or Pony Express saying you must ask him about his children, because the bridge shows which he's you know was doing back then, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh my God, I'm going, this guy's going to walk out of the interview. And I thought about it, and this is for people who want to talk about in interviewing. If that's something right. you're interested in, I thought, how the fuck am I going to ask Neil Young, who hates being interviewed, to exploit his kids? And I I said I can't do it. And then I realized. I can only do it if it's a question, A, I want to know, and a question he would want to speak to. Mm-hmm. So I just said, let me ask you a question. What have your kids taught you? <gasps> Which he went... And this is a guy who's like a hostile witness. in, in Like like <laughs> Dylan, these are guys who don't <laughs> like to talk. <laughs> right. He lit up because he was not being asked something in the negative. Right. He was being asked something positive that he had learned yeah. from them. It was different. It's like that's the whole trick is you have to find... In, that's the same thing like when i write for people how do you say something that's not the same thing they've always said but flip it so that it has some new life to it absolutely uh, and that, and and he was happy for you know he still only gave me 45 minutes of the 3 can hours can you
0: tell us one thing he said he learned from his kids do you remember anything
1: oh he said a million things he said he learned patience he learned mm. you know perspective he learned i mean he was like really Thoughtful. It was, it's probably the most happy he was during the entire interview because he didn't really want to talk i mean These guys, like, uh, like I do a lot of stuff with Ringo, who is one of my heroes and one of my my, of all. I can never think of Ringo.
0: Does Ringo ever go anywhere and not make a peace sign?
1: Uh, No, and I and I, you know, people. I know people who make fun of that. I freaking love it. it. Well, no, it's because like that's the thing. When the, the anthology of the Beatles came out, they said it. They said they realized like. That's why the Beatles endure in addition to the music mm-hmm. is what do they stand for mm-hmm. they do stand for that and like as opposed to like the things people stand for like right now in our mm-hmm. popular culture, it's a great thing to stand for i love I love that guy uh, but like someone like him he I, I like I go around with every album to his house and interview him so that he doesn't have to do a million interviews so that he can send these out like online and it's like I, I I feel honored to do that. Can and you imagine?
0: You're the guy that Ringo calls to do the interview. To say, David, this is. I love this.
1: Is, I mean, it's, that's,
0: can I touch Like this is amazing. Yes. I, yes this, the, no. Right. This is. This is. I I I hope you reflect for a moment. I I hope you appreciate because you always you're very self-deprecating, constantly, uh, constantly. I am. So, I
1: try. I believe my wife would point out. <laughs> I actually self-aggrandize at the exact same time. So I really go nowhere, which is a metaphor, by, by putting myself down and trying to boost myself up. I name drop and name lift so that it all equals out.
0: No, I really hope you appreciate for a no, moment I do, that and, you are living yeah. this life of... And, and I, I, I want to ask you this yeah. because I'm personally curious. I believe in um, manifestation. I, I believe I believe that if we really... Believe something, think it, say it out loud, write it down. We can make things happen. We can create our present, our future. You created the job that you wanted. It, it, it came to you. You didn't even have to work hard for it, which is what Deepak and every other wise person I've ever heard talks about, is that it's not about selling, pushing. It's about knowing and believing and earning.
1: Well, it's also what I think is it's it's... Again, maybe I view it more, almost from the negative version of that. <laughs> I know. I, I, when I was starting at Rolling Stone, I was in a position of reading like submissions and giving people their dream, calling them up and giving them assignment. Oh. And what I noticed in life was mm-hmm. about eighty-five percent of people collapse utterly when given the chance to do what they want to do. They literally oh, they, they, they don't do they it? don't oh. do it. They mm. hand it in late. They hand it oh. something that's much worse than anything they've ever done before. Wow. And I, I, I and in uh, that's almost like I feel like my career has been in like not screwing people over or letting people down that like people like Ringo have been put in a million awkward positions mm-hmm. or been asked a million stupid questions and just by not asking the stupid question you become someone who they trust and like I've had you know and, and part of it is just sort of uh, you know mm-hmm. abnormal psychology I think I do have learned how to adjust different kinds of people, maybe because of my parents and dealing with both of them early on. Mm-hmm. I sort of do I'm interested in mm-hmm. abnormal psychology and that comes in handy in dealing with rock bands because usually there's some craziness. Like Okay, so
0: tell us some cra- give us a crazy Well I'll just story. give an
1: example of okay. like the past year or two I've been writing mm-hmm. liner notes for Fleetwood Mac for all they've been reissuing all their records. And the last one that just came out their first record of with Lindsay and Stevie, mm-hmm. like the guy from the record company called and said I don't even understand how to tell you this, but they all just liked it. They all disagreed. Like they, they literally pathologically cannot agree. If one likes it, the other has to, as a matter of you know, course, reject it. And they—everyone liked it. And I'm like, see, that's uh, that's the secret of Zen life. If you can please all of Fleetwood Mac, you know, I, I, I think that four, is the key to life. Or, but like Mick and Keith, I remember writing. Like I was home uh, one day, and I got a message: call Mick Jagger. And I had interviewed him once, but he you was like, I want your I, I life. I want my page. life. I don't
0: want Mick Jagger's life. I want your well, life. It's
1: almost over, so <laughs> don't worry about it. But uh, I, so I, I called Mick Jagger, and he goes, uh, David Love. And I'm like, I'm straight, but I was like, David Love? <laughs> that sounded, I, I was like, whoa. He goes, uh, would you like to write us some liner notes by Friday? And I'm like, sure. And, it, like, and then I realized it's Thursday night. Oh, and then I realized, uh, and then he negotiated a fee with me. And it was such a cheap fee. I've heard he's cheap. <laughs> it, was, it, was not, it was not huge. And I said, even I, even when I was excited, I was like, all right, then I'm going to need two tickets to any show I want, and I'm going to need a signed copy of this record. I got the tickets, mm-hmm. but I had to wait until Mick did the Grammys to get him to sign it, and then I did a cover story with Johnny Depp and uh, Keith, Keith Richards Rich. and got uh, him he- to sign it. Oh, but that's another example. Okay. Tell me when I'm getting... No, 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 no.
0: Go, go, go.
1: Keith Richards. (laughs) I'm home with my family on, a, I think it was a Saturday, and I get a call saying, get to Disney now. I'm like, what? Just go to Disney. Just drive to Disney. Get your tape recorder. Or, you know, it it was a tape recorder (laughs) even then. Because you're going to interview Johnny Depp and Keith Richards for a cover story. And I'm like... You mean now? Like, it goes, you're late. Get there. Go. And <laughs> I'm like, late. And, and I didn't know the story until I got to the trailer where they were doing the pirates. They were filming the scenes for the pirates. Mm-hmm. Move, and I go to Johnny Depp's ta- trailer, and I, it's explained to me that there was another reporter already assigned and who had started the interview an hour earlier. And he had asked two questions that annoyed Keith so much <laughs> that he threatened to stick a banana up his ass until he bled to death. Ah. At which point, the other reporter ran out. Apparently, I heard weeping. <laughs> and I was called, because I guess I'd written the liner notes for 40 licks or something, and said, Get down there. And I walked in, and this is just how life can be. Right. I, now, I was told the question, the first I was question he asked. Did you find out? Yeah. I was told the first question okay. was Keith, for those who are Stones fans, you'll know, has a skull ring that he's worn forever. Mm-hmm. It looks like a pirate type skull ring. And this reporter goes, "Did this a prop that they gave you? And that was the first question. And then I was told, he asked them to arm wrestle to see who was tougher. No. At which point... I'm sorry, but
0: that guy deserved to get thrown out I, there I wasn't hair.
1: there. This is what I was told. But I do know that Keith apparently said, why don't you get the fuck out of here or I'll shove that banana up your ass till you bleed to death. At which point, the guy went out crying. At which point, I walked in and I literally, this is true, I walked into Johnny's trailer, which had... All, all the sort of tapestries and cool Jamaican vibe you'd want, and Keith said, "Hi, would you like a banana?" There was, but it was that was I got the had opposite. You, wait, one. had you
0: heard the story before you walked in? Uh, no,
1: he just offered me a piece of fruit. Yeah.
0: You eat the banana; he can't kill you with it.
1: I, yeah, in this context, I don't want to talk yeah.
0: about bananas. Um. Wow. So you're the guy. You're you're the go-to guy for Mick and Keith and no, Bob I, I, and.
1: Ringo, and this
0: is just not
1: not always, but there are times when you're the guy, and there's times when you know.
0: Okay, so I'm assuming you became the guy because you're the guy that asked the right questions. You're the guy that wrote it well. Um, What? And I'm assuming there's personality stuff as well because it can't just be right.
1: Well, some personality. Like one thing that I remember very well was uh, uh, Stephen Tyler from Mm -hmm. Aerosmith once said to me after i had done a cover story with them he goes you know why i like you and i said no he goes because you know i'm the rock star and <laughs> he had said that they dealt with a lot of writers who in their head they it was about them and he goes i think you know it's about you and i think truth to be told i don't know if i was a great rolling stone writer if i am a great profilist i think my love for music sometimes made me a little too reverential. When I started, eventually Rolling Stone asked me to write about TV too, and I was a little more—I don't love TV like I love music, so I was probably a little better writing about TV because I could mock it. And I, music is so special to me; I don't tend to mock it. I Wait, to, Let's talk about
0: that for a second. Where did that with, start for you, David? The music, the passion, yeah. Um, with who was it? Beatles? I mean, what no, what I missed. It? The,
1: I'm. You know what's funny? It's like you're too young. Uh, I missed, I wrote like the Beatles um, Grammy special. I uh, I did, and I'm in all over. If you watch that 60s, 70s, 80s, yes. 90s, 2000, yes. I just, Phil and I both just shot our segments for the 2000s nice. the other day. So we're, we're really running out of decades, as Tom Hanks just <laughs> recently said to us. Uh, fuck, we're out of decades. Uh, but in any case, um, I'm in the 60s one about the Beatles, British invasion all over it and the only thing i didn't like about that was all the old jews at my tennis club were like you remember <laughs> and i'm like no i don't fucking remember <laughs> i was two and a half i don't remember the beatles i wow. for me i do remember the base of the rollers on the howard Cosell show <laughs> that was very big to me the raspberries huge oh to God. me i kind of missed the beatles well. but i i in fact i remember being in uh rio with Uh, No, I'm not right, Rio. It is Buenos Aires Mm -hmm. with Paul McCartney and Linda on the road, which is part of the reason I'm married to my wife. Wow. So that's another story. But in any case, I got into this long sort of argument with Paul about he needs to do more wings. Because I literally, just my generation grew up on the wings, and he was sort of, that was the exact moment he was doing all the Beatles. And he goes, you're the only one pushing (laughs) for more wings. (laughs) I'm like, I don't know. I'm banned on the run was my Sergeant Pepper, I, I, you know, that's just where I came in.
0: Wow, all right, tell, tell us a story about how that has to do with your wife.
1: Um, Linda McCartney, and in fact, if my phone is here, I'll show you, I'll, I'll play it off with a picture. Okay. But um, what happened was, I had met my wife, we'd gone out for a few weeks, and then I went on the road with McCartney's, and I went, I think we went to Colorado and a few places, and then we went to South America, and we came back. So I was with them for like, a few weeks, two weeks maybe, which was amazing. Watching all these shows, traveling around, getting to know. Them.
0: And you're doing a story is for Rolling right? Stone, okay. yeah. yeah. But
1: those were like the end of that. It was right at that moment. It was turning from spend two weeks on the road to go into a you know a company a building for half an hour and make a cover story. But this was like old school, right? And uh, in any case, at the end of those, for some reason, Linda. So it was like, like almost moves.
0: famous kind of... Is that was it, was. was it like that?
1: It was not at all famous. That is my movie. <laughs> it's like 10 <laughs> years later and no one gives a shit. That's my... And Cameron... Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I've talked to Cameron about that at great length. But in any case... Oh, so after like a couple weeks, Linda, when we got back to New Jersey at the Brendan... Or Giant Stadium, she was, there, mm-hmm. he was playing.
0: Brendan Arena,
1: Brendan Arena or Giant Stadium. I think mm-hmm. it was the outdoor place. Mm-hmm. In any case, she said... Do you have a girlfriend? I went, yeah, I just met this girl. In fact, she's in town in New York. Uh, and Linda said, I want to meet her, bring her to lunch tomorrow, and ask her to come to Soundcheck. Now, if you've ever been to a McCartney show, they're great. But the only thing better is the McCartney Soundcheck, because he does nothing from the show, everything he wants to do, and they're brilliant. You've seen it. It's like the greatest. And they've become, I just was in Chicago with him a few Months ago, to, for the Grammy 60th anniversary special, interviewing him, and I got to see that it's now become like something that there's like for charity. groups I was and just things. Gonna, the charity yeah, people do, pay yeah, they, like a fortune. Yeah. they have to
0: they have to stay, stay back a little or, further back. Stay, yeah. and, and so my friend Drew Nepry owns the restaurant in the stadium, and so we got to go to the the sound check.
1: Right. It's now become like something. It's become a people little institution. Pay huge money. Yes, but this was literally just my fiance, my girlfriend at the time came back you see, like hell of a fifth date she said she came, we came and watched the, a sound check uh, and had lunch with Linda and at the end of lunch oh, Linda said do you think I know about marriage she like pulled me aside she goes do you think I know about marriage and I was yeah I think you have a Ooh. great marriage mm-hmm. you, clearly and she goes marry that girl now <gasps> And it was your fifth date fifth or sixth date and we were married by. we got engaged by the end of that year and I don't think it would have occurred to me Except here was someone who was in this great marriage, which I had not much experience with from my childhood with great marriages, ordering me to do so. And she did, She was such a great lady. And it's like so funny how, like, women, like she Yoko and she, she they it get back, bad rap, right. they get blamed for shit. Uh-huh. She was unbelievable, like, an unbelievable woman. Do you
0: know Yoko?
1: Uh, yes, I work, I've worked for Yoko. <laughs> how,
0: how's Yoko as a woman,
1: as a person? Great. I, you know, I don't have any problem. I think they're great. Olivia, I've gotten to know a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, And uh, I'm in love with Barbara Bach and Marjorie, her sister, uh, who's married to Joel Walsh now. But in any case, these women are great. And they're not to blame. It's like there's a million other factors. But what happened, I'll just pay this off, this one story, was I literally got, we got married. And then... Yeah, we need the picture. She did other little things. Like she sent me a photo that she took without me knowing backstage, which I used as my author's photo. So, like, I had a Linda McCartney author's photo for my first few books. And then when Linda died, I mean, it got weirder because, like, I did a TV show I hosted on Bravo called Musicians for two years. Mm-hmm. Mary, her daughter, was our staff uh, um, photographer. And uh, so I was around them in all sorts of different ways. But then when Linda died, it broke my heart. It was so sad. And then um, a couple, like five years ago or something, four years ago, my. We we honored the Beatles, and Paul played the Grammys that year, and I am backstage running around like you do at these live event shows, and my wife comes back, and she goes, I have to show you a photo. And what had happened is she was coming down the hall with my two our two sons, and McCartney stopped them and said, hold on, boys, I need a picture with you. And... Again, even I, at the I, I like have
0: goosebumps. Look at Louisa's face. Uh, I like have goosebumps running up and down. Paul well, oh, McCartney you. asks for a picture with video. you.
1: No, no. I'm sorry. Now, your life
0: is. Fuck you. Yeah, your
1: yeah. Li-
0: I, I'm like over it with your life already. This well, here's, is like too, But here's this wait, picture. No, you have to sh-
1: uh, of sh- sh- put it in the put it. In I don't the know if you to, can see that at all. It. But can this can is the picture of, that my wife is, showed me when she came back.
0: I'm trying to see if it's showing on the... You show it to them, Louise. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Um,
1: but in any case, what happened was... Your boys
0: like, are gorgeous. Thank you. I have a, they have a
1: hot mom. Paul's cute, too. <laughs> he's still the cute one. But in any case, now here's the truth. I have never Beesh. asked him what, why he stopped them. Because, frankly, everyone tries to get a picture with him. He's, even at the backstage at the Grammys. he's like, got a guard and all, you know. Right. He's, he's not... It was unusual. Now, it's half in my mind he thought they were the Jonas Brothers. <laughs> and half... Because they kind of had the hair, yeah. or half the spirit of Linda, oh, telling him, "I need a picture of those boys because they might not be here if it wasn't for Linda." And so, that is
0: the crazy, That is the craziest thing. Well, I'm this, making sure we're still. Th- a...
1: You know, this last year, yeah. Um, I was in Chicago. He played in Chicago, and I had to go interview him for our Grammy 60th anniversary documentary special. Yeah. And before he went on, I interviewed him. I had like a half an hour but i said i got to ask you about this picture talk about it because we never talked about it. and he said don't make me cry before i play <laughs> I, oh was like, I was so it was so moving because like i i think about linda all the time because i mean uh, you know i knew her for that you know not not for that long a time but she mm. changed my life wow i that is not necessarily that, the is, better, that, that you know. is that is
0: the nicest linda story i've ever heard that's a really beautiful story so how is it for you now with the new with Well, you
1: know, I... I I, I, I like everyone. And I don't know... Paul, you know, it's not like I am close to Paul. I am... I spent a lot of time with Ringo. I've spent... I worked on The Beatles Show, which Paul was great for, great in. Uh, I mean, I met George in the... This is another weird, wild story. He was... uh, I was supposed to interview him once, and then he got ill. Mm. Uh, And then... Uh, I was one Christmas when I first was in LA, ninety. What year would it have been? Ninety-one or two. Right mm-hmm. at these sort of, they were already the Willberries and I was uh, when I moved here. I didn't know many people except musicians. So like, I went to the movies with Terence Trent D'Arby. <laughs> we went to see so, uh, Toys by Barry Levinson twice, which uh, no one else can make that claim. But I've seen. T- no one <laughs> And no one else saw it twice. And definitely no one else saw it twice with Terence <laughs> Darwin. I'm sure that's but true. But <laughs> I spent my first Christmas at the Petties. That was Tom and his first wife. They they adopted me. Uh, for,
0: I, I, I'm really... I, I am not a jealous person. I'm having a really hard time. I'm jealous
1: know. of me on this story. But uh, <laughs> in any case... Uh, so I go over to... The, I figure it's going to be a massive party. And I was told it was a gift exchange. And in the gift exchange, I got Tom. So I went to... Larry Edmonds Bookshop or whatever it's called in, in Hollywood. Bookshop. Yes. And I bought a... Carl
0: loves that bookstore.
1: Beatles Life magazine from oh. that, you know, and I had it like framed. Cheaply. <laughs> <You know? laughs> no, not an expensive framing. And so that was my gift for time because I knew what a Beatles fan from hanging out with him. He would play me before they were all out. He would play Beatles Outtakes and sit and talk about why they were so great. So I go over for this party and I have him in the gift exchange and I walk in and I see a pretty... Brunette woman by the food table, and I noticed a pretty woman by a food table. The food and the woman <laughs> noticed all of it, and then I was like, "Yeah, she's pretty." And then I looked at this guy coming around, grabbing. And I was like, "Oh no, she's with that guy." And then I went, "Oh, that guy is George Harrison." Oh and it was Olivia gosh. and George, wow. and there were only like fifteen people at this party. Oh and, I
0: can't. And
1: so I can't. so I sit on a couch, and George sits next to me, and Tom sits next to him. And at the gift exchange, this is like, again, I didn't get to know George. And you didn't know George was going to be there when you bought that gift? I had no idea. And then, so Tom opens the gift, and George turned to me, and it was like, it was like I had my own private Hard Day's Night George moment. He goes, oh yeah, David the Fabs. I remember them. Ah. And I was like, holy shit, this is so great. And uh I
0: cannot take these stories.
1: There's other stories that I can't tell for legal reasons. Yeah, no, that was... That was an amazing. It was like so. Like I had. There are
0: better moments than that in your life. No, that was a good
1: one. That was a good one. <laughs> uh,
0: so have have you written the memoir
1: yet? No, I have never, and I always say I have to write it when I'm done, so that I don't get into too much trouble for this. But I started to write stories about five years ago, and I have so that I remember them. Yes, like, I have like about twenty, but uh, I don't know if anyone would buy that book. I've written a lot of books, but I've written books like... Let's talk about your books. Yeah. So, let, so first book. First book was, I was at Esquire for two months, and uh, a guy named Paul Slansky, who you might know, was a writer in New York and out here now, mm-hmm. friend of good friend of Carrie Fisher's, uh, and he did some books. But he was approached to write a Woody Allen quiz book. Uh, because he had done a in Esquire like a Woody Allen quiz. Oh, right. This was back when you could Woody Allen was still laughing matter. <laughs> you could do a Woody Allen quiz <laughs> book and not get arrested, and I did So he was approached to do and it. And sell
0: a few copies, which you couldn't do now. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs>
1: because people bought books. But what happened was they offered him such an insulting money. Well, goes, I'm not because
0: people liked Woody then. Yes. Well. Yeah.
1: So he was offered like an insulting amount of amount of money. Because I would never do the book for that amount, but this guy might. And so I wrote in a day or two a, a Woody Allen quiz book called Woody Allen, A Short Neurotic Quiz Book. My agent was Melanie Jackson, who was married to Thomas Pynchon, who was a super a, elegant literary editor, uh, sorry, edit, literary agent who had no idea what kind of low pop culture <laughs> crap I was doing. was totally amused. In fact, years later when I called her, I said, the cast of Friends uh, and the producers want me to write their official book. She mm-hmm. goes... That's lovely. What's a friend? <laughs> so I knew I should switch out into someone who is like, it's lovely you have friends, David. She didn't get it at all. Uh, but what happened was, yeah, I did the that book, which just was a very entry-level way to learn how a book is done. And then mm-hmm. I did a cover story on Friends that the first season, when Warner Brothers made a deal to do a book, the cast said, we'll only do it if that guy does it. I did it, and it became a huge bestseller. I went around... Colleges for two years lecturing about friends and its cultural impact then we had kids and I probably didn't watch a lot of friends mm-hmm. and then That when the show was ending the cast did the same thing and they said we'll only do it if that guy does it They offered me the same amount of money and I said no and then they had a way give me much more money and then I said yes and it was the greatest thing ever because that was, again, for a book author, I am not that successful a book author, but I have had the moment where uh, Oprah, I wrote the book and it came out the night after the last show. It was like this weird, unique kind of release. There was a magazine version that you could buy in a grocery store, there was a hardcover edition, and it all came out the morning after the last episode, which I was the only writer on the set for, so that I had an exclusive kind of thing. But the great moment was I stayed up all night doing radio interviews until Oprah went on. And Oprah that day held up the book and said, The cast of Friends is over, but it lives on if you buy this book. And I got to see what it's like when Oprah I tells people can't. to buy a book. It was the greatest thing. No, I cannot. And, uh, and because my wife, I married the hottest business manager, the cutest <laughs> business manager on earth. She had said, you know when I was negotiating for the book she said just try to get what they get so that which ended up being the most genius thing in history was that like I got like I, I basically was linked somehow percentage-wise with the cast so like I was like the seventh ugly friend or something uh, like that but what happened was the ge- the ge- well this is the deal that was worked out so that what happened was when they as big cast of successful shows do when they audit they find money and when they found the money, I got this check—the only big check I've ever gotten out of the blue during the writer's strike, which helped get me through it—and that was the greatest, one of the greatest moments ever. Was that I, I, for a second, I knew what it was like to be a friend.
0: You've, you've, you've about, you've, oh, you've about rendered me speed. These stories are too sick for words. All right, and I, I want to stay on the happy, like I, I don't want to. Take anybody down, but so maybe we don't mention names or anything, but is there are there any gigs that have been particularly horrible, stressful horrific
1: well there's a story that I had was so an interview that was so tough mm. that Rolling Stone at one time made me sort of write the story of what happened it 's with another one of my heroes like we're talking about Dylan like my heroes i 'm just a victim of my childhood, Stevie Wonder. Neil Young, Bob Dylan, you know, those guys. Van Morrison is another one of those guys. And Van Morrison put me through hell. Uh, I got, I mean, it's, it's such a long story.
0: There are terrible stories out there about him. It's not one of those stories, but it's
1: a story that involves him literally, uh, I chased him around the world. He requested me to interview him mm-hmm. and then wouldn't talk to me. And I literally, uh, it ended up with me in Cambridge, Square at Harvard at a cafe, and I started to ask my first question, and I said, when you, and I looked up, and he had run out of the restaurant. Now, what? Van Morrison, like, in so much as Van Morrison was going to run, he <laughs> sort of just rushed out of, the, out of this restaurant, at which point, I chased him for, like, weeks, and I said, fuck it, I cannot go back to Rolling Stone without an interview. So I grabbed my tape recorder and chased him through Harvard Square. He ducked into a, another coffee house. Uh, I'm trying what, to remember. What?
0: Can you tell me what that was about? What is that about? I, you did you try to arm wrestle? Him? I mean, what were you? Nothing. What did I, you do? I literally had said
1: oh. when you, and I when when he finally I sat down in this coffee house as if nothing had happened, <laughs> uh, and I'm trying to remember the photographer. Is it? It's the guy who That's took the Tracy script. Chapman cover st- uh, photo. Uh, not her Brits. It was um, wow. No, not her Brits. I have to. Okay. Look it up, but there's the famous Tracy Chapman album cover guy, great photographer. He was Nick also big rock, no, no, my
0: friend. Not um, what's his name? Um, okay, look it up. Oh, god. Uh,
1: okay. But he was a very great photographer. He was supposed to take the picture. He chased me, chasing Van, <laughs> and so he went literally outside the restaurant and took a snapshot, which he then treated, which was his look as a photographer, yeah. and made this amazing portrait. And I said, acted like nothing was wrong and said Van I had a list of like a hundred questions Henry Dill no 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 I, you know oh, okay I, we'll look it up okay but in any case uh, I started to ask I, and I normally don't even prepare it to that extent but I had a hundred questions written down I said when you he goes I don't talk about my personal life and I went okay on the album he goes I don't talk about my records and I went okay there's the hundred questions all fucking gone and I said Again, this is where you have to try to figure out, what are you going right. to do? I said, can you tell me why you don't want to talk to me? And that was great. Because <gasps> he wanted to talk to me about why he didn't want to talk to me. Oh. He wanted to talk to me about what he hated about the process. Mm-hmm. And it was fantastic because it was utterly sincere. And I, it's like one of these things where you realize, oh, yeah. You know how most people in an interview situation kiss your ass in an artificial way and act like they like you more than they do? This was the opposite. He was totally giving me truth to the point where I remember then because the minute I got him to talk about why he didn't want to talk to me, he was off and running for an hour he gave me a really pretty good talk and one of the things I remember asking him was like I said, for me, your music is like a religious experience, there's a spiritual component, and he goes yeah, sometimes it is sometimes it's just a fucking cake and I realized, (laughs) that's the same thing Bob Dylan was telling me Mm -hmm. when he said the thing about going electric, it's like these guys you we 're so busy projecting onto these people all the bullshit that we bring to them you 've got to get back to the fact that there 's a person living it on the other end and what it is like for them mm-hmm. and what it 's like for Bob Dylan is I imagine miserable to have to go around for fifty years people projecting the same issues onto him or you know expecting him to explain. Vietnam, or him to explain, you know, student rebellion, or the hippies, or whatever, it's like, it's, it's too much for a human, and that's what, you know, uh, but that was, yeah, Van gave me an hour, that was great, and then, uh, wow. uh, and then he goes, okay, are we done then? I went, mm-hmm. yeah, we're done, and then cut to, and there's more to the story, trust me, there were, it involved two other continents where he had, <laughs> Uh, avoided me. (laughs) Uh, Literally, it was like... Wait,
0: before that. I'm assuming after that. that.
1: After that, the irony is... So, there was a manager I was dealing with through Mm -hmm. all of that who died soon after that and I'm sure none of this helped. uh, (laughs) But the next manager replaced him for his next record, I think. A couple years later, it was a record called Hymns to the Silence and he was putting out a special edition and I got this call going... Uh, van wanted to know if you would write liner notes for uh, uh, the special edition I said sure but you he you asked me can I ask me why me he goes yeah he said you guys got along well and I'm like wow, wow. that's getting along well yeah. wow. uh, and and I've talked to him since then and it's been great you know but it's uh yeah it's again it's abnormal psychology but if they were normal you know he'd write like uh, you know it wouldn't be van Morrison
0: all right, so how about how does that experience uh, translate to like writing for like the Grammy Awards where you're dealing with all kinds of personalities, all kinds of levels of articulation? Well, I think what it
1: is, yeah, I think what it is is I, whatever my failings were as a journalist, mm-hmm. I don't know if I, as a rock journalist, had the strongest of voices. I think I had a knowledge of music. Mm-hmm. But what I am am is acutely aware of other voices. Despite the fact that I haven't stopped talking, I am a good listener when it comes to... No, no, no. No, but when it comes to people, I know what they sound like. And my first one of the first shows I ever wrote was a, I forget what it was, like a People's Choice Awards I was asked to write. And the first award was by Jeff Foxworthy. And he was giving out an award for Best Reality Show, which was a new concept. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote him like five jokes... You know, you might be a reality star. That, 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 that. <laughs> you might be, you might be a reality star based on his like. You know, if you're right, yeah. and he went, and I remember very vividly. He goes, mm-hmm. I got to tell you, everyone tries to write a redneck joke for red me, red and they're fucking horrible. He yeah. goes, these are good, Uh-oh. and and. Uh, and again I remember like the next thing Did I Jeff
0: Foxworthy to say that you're writing in his voice well yeah. that's a compliment no, and that's,
1: no, but that's the whole thing that's in huge. my second part of my career is mm-hmm. I write well for other voices because I like other voices I really appreciate like you know if it's uh, you know LL Cool J or if it's, it was Kevin Spacey or if, whether it was Brad Paisley and Karen. Underwood I've written the CMAs for the last uh, 16 years and you know it was Vince Gill first and then it was Brooks and Dunn and then it's Carolyn and Brad Pacey and you realize you have to I don't write for my voice and I think a lot of comedians who get into this really are only in love with their own voice Mm -hmm. and I'm not a comedian who's in love with my own voice although I write a lot of comedy I'm in love with other people's voices so that like I listen I try to listen and be sensitive to who they are and then figure out how do you make that work like with Brad and Carrie who are fantastic hosts together with this great chemistry. After mm-hmm. the first year Brad has said this to me. He goes, I was listening to them and they have this like brother-sister like teasing thing uh-huh. going on. And I went, I think you guys are Sonny and Cher. And mm-hmm. I said, I think Brad, I think you're the dumb one. <laughs> and he's a super bright guy. They're both yeah. really bright. Mm-hmm. But I said, No, I think for the context of this, uh-huh. you have to be this annoying little brother who's saying stupid shit, and she has to put you in your place and then also get caught up in your stupidity, too. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of this dynamic that you find, but you have to be sensitive to what works for other people's voices, and that's, I think that's, yeah, I've fallen into this, most people fall into it are comedians who Mm -hmm. are hired to write a few jokes, but Have you ever done stand-up? I, well, the funny thing is, I was just talking about this with uh, Phil the other day, because I, I had been hired to do a lot of events at comedy festivals, and I will interview or MC things. And, like, for instance, and I did with the, inside the writer's room with Raymond was, like, the second thing. The first thing I ever did was a reunion of swingers, the movie Swingers, at the Aspen Comedy Fest. And I remember having to – they said, just go out, tell a few jokes, and then bring them out. And I've written jokes for people – that's a, I do it all the time, but mm-hmm. not usually for me. Usually I have talented people right. to write for. And I never, I'll never i never forget, that was the first time I ever had to really do it. And I walked out at the Aspen Comedy Festival, and I think I was doing it because Vince Vaughn was told by Jennifer Aniston, who I'd worked with on the Friends thing, that I would be good to do this. Mm-hmm. So I walk out, and the front row is my wife, the scariest person to me, <laughs> in terms of, because so I don't want to flop in front of her but
0: she obviously she definitely is your best friend she's audience. not a fan
1: <laughs> uh, and no and, and she's super funny and my kids call her the funny one which is uh. very painful but it was my wife mm-hmm. Jennifer Aniston Dave Chappelle who was in the middle of that moment when he sort of was disappearing yes but he showed up at the Aspen Comedy Festival I think Ben Stiller like this was oh, the front and I'm like and I had three or four jokes to tell and I remember wanting to throw up uh. And I, I, the first joke was, like, something like... Because in Swingers, there's a big line, uh, you're so money and you don't even know it. Mm-hmm. Like, I just... It's like, Aspen, you're so money and you really fucking know it. Or something. <laughs> but I could barely get the... I, and I knew it was a good it's first a good, line. It's a
0: good joke. But
1: I fucking... It was so hard to say it. But I got through that. Uh-huh. And, oh, my God, I just... And I just with Chappelle at the Grammys. And it does another story. But uh, in any case, so then... Um, I went on the road with Phil, and I was the host MC for that. And I told the same four jokes uh-huh. to, before I brought everyone out. And they were, they're all so brilliantly funny. It didn't matter. But I got laughs every time until we got to the Montreal Comedy Festival when we were put in after like a dating show. Uh, what was that big book? Uh, like, He's Just Not That Into You. Uh-huh. So we had an audience of women who were dealing with emotional relationship issues. <laughs> and it was 5 p.m. on a Friday, and everyone wanted to go get drunk at a party. And I walked out, and I told my same stupid jokes I got a laugh in every place, and nothing. And I remember, like, I think the first thing I would said was, Hello, I'm David, and I'm your opening Jew. And always, and always even they anti-Semites would laugh at the word Jew, because they hate Jews, but nothing. And so I said, Oh, my God. And then I brought out Phil and Lou Schneider and Tom Cal... Ta- you know, uh, the ta- uh, uh, piano. And I looked at them and Lou and Tom and the stand-ups were loving it. They had this look of like, because they'd play their <laughs> jokes and nothing. It's like we had never, we've been to like 30 shows that were killing and we were bombing. And I'm like dying and these comedians were like, oh no, this is what we do. It's yeah, like you course. dig in, you dig in and you turn them and that makes it great. And I watched them, they just wouldn't let the audience go and then by the end it was great. But it was really an education because wow. I'm the guy who sits on the back, you know, backstage, and if something bombs, I'm like, well, they blew it. You know, it's like uh-huh. I can blame someone else. But it's, it's, that's another part of my education is having to be the guy on stage occasionally is good. It, it, it teaches you how it's hard humility. it is. Yes. It really it's a humbling thing, mm-hmm. and I need a humbling thing.
0: Uh, so tell us, uh, we're going we're gonna to wrap in a minute, but tell us the. No, no, the, I'm going to keep telling you. Tell, I, I, I could sit here and listen to these stories. All, you, you, are, you are speaking to me, boy. I am your audience. Um, so tell us your Dave, your other Dave Chappelle story.
1: Oh, no, well, this is it's not a big story other than I love Dave Chappelle. Mm-hmm. I think I wrote for him once right around that same moment for the Grammys and mm-hmm. introducing the worst Sly Stone tribute in history. There was some <laughs> crazy story with Sly Stone. But in any case, I didn't know him well, but I'm a fan. I just mm-hmm. think he's a genius. I love comedy. One of the things, I'm, one of the ways I'm getting through my wife and I, are empty nest is i 've been going to stand up comedy all the time, mm-hmm. like and I used to love it, and then when you had kids it 's like that 's just' this one thing that got cut out of my schedule, mm-hmm. but now I go all the time i 'm nice. and i 'm a very good audience, which I find a lot of, again like a lot of comedians are terrible That's, they a, they, they yes. hate to go and they won 't laugh and at they don 't laugh they
0: don 't give
1: it up I laugh, I love it so but in any case my our kids are now old enough, they love comedy. In fact, I appeared at the San Francisco Sketch Fest doing a thing two years ago. My son went with me, and when you're out, when you're talent at a Sketch Fest, they said, you can have tickets, anyone who's a talent, you can get two tickets to any show you want. But they said, in the history of Sketch Fest, no one has gone to more shows, because I'm a comedy nerd, and my son, my oldest son is a comedy nerd, who is going to Berkeley, so he's up there, and we just went to 50 shows, because nice. love to laugh. But mm-hmm. in any case... So he loves Chappelle, my younger son loves Chappelle, my wife loves Chappelle. Mm-hmm. So we went to Austin this past year to see him at Austin City Limits uh, Theater. And it was this amazing trip because they'd never been to Austin. We had a fantastic time. And I don't know, if, I'm sure you've heard Dave Chappelle doesn't let you have your phone, you have to lock it up in a, a case. Mm-hmm. So it was like this amazing night where we all laughed and we all weren't on our phones. And I, it was just magical. And so uh, when Dave was at the Grammys this year, he appeared with Kendrick, and then uh, I worked with him. He was presenting the Rap Award. Uh, I was talking to him when we were like, on the stage, and I said, I gotta tell you, my wife and I, we made a family vacation out of your show, and it was uh, it was so magnificent to spend that much time laughing with your kids without looking at a phone, whatever. Mm-hmm. And he got sort of teary-eyed, and I got teary-eyed, and I told my wife this story. So the next day, uh, it's the Grammys and she comes in because she comes every year she doesn't really come to a lot of the shows I do but she loves the Grammys and so I go backstage and even I in my selfie madness at Wild About Music (laughs) on Twitter I would not ask Dave Chappelle for that exact phone reason I would never have thought to ask him for a picture because it's like I just talked to him about his phone I'm not (laughs) asking for a picture I go back and my wife is back in my little room with the prompter where I Rehearse with people, and Dave Chappelle literally goes, David, we were looking for you. We got to get a picture. (laughs) And I just said, This world is effing crazy. Where, like, the guy I just praised for not ever wanting to have the phone, you know, was like, you know, so I love, especially, I don't really love the picture with me because they look much much happier together than I do. (laughs) But I have another picture with just the two of them. They look very happy.
0: David, I. I literally could sit here and talk to you all night and listen right. to every story, and I, <laughs> I am going to encourage you to write that memoir because I want to read it, and I know a lot of people are going to want to read it. You've got, you've led, you are leading the life of so many of our dreams. I mean, it's just an extraordinary life you're living. It's not just a story, but you're funny, so it's going to I'm be hysterical. Funny. And oh, I just, I really hope you're cherishing. How amazing this life is that you have created for your you have created your your reality I believe that look
1: well, the coolest part is I have to say now having kids old enough because they were sort of grew up around it not quite knowing like mm-hmm. I'll tell one last story yes tell you. it the most amazing moment I think of all these stories the one that I always think about because and it involves my youngest son mm-hmm. Alec and uh, um, who's he named after uh, well well that's an interesting question. I wanted to name him Miles after Miles Davis, mm-hmm. but Miles Wilde, my wife said, sounded terrible. So <laughs> Miles uh, Wilde, uh, not I, good. I got his second I got his middle name, Scott, for F. Scott Fitzgerald, who is a writer I love. After, not, He's not Bob Dylan, but he was very good. <laughs> but in any case, so when he was little, when he was like four, mm-hmm. and my older son was six, um, <coughs> Ringo was playing Universal Amphitheater, and called and said, you should bring your family. Brought my family, but I didn't know that... And I wanted to educate them about the Beatles, but they were young, so first I made the terrible mistake of taking them to the silent movie theater to go see Yellow Submarine, forgetting it's a friggin' drug movie. You know, it's like an acid (laughs) trip. And it kind of freaked them out. And so we got home, and I showed them the Ruttles. And because I said, this is like about the Beatles, sort of. Mm The next day, Ringo invites us to the show. Well, I knew that we were going. Mm-hmm. But we got there, and I did not know Ringo was going to invite us back before the show. Because we little kids. We were going to leave yeah, during yeah. the show. But right before the show, someone comes back and says, Ringo would like to see you. I, bring, I walk them into the dressing room, and Ringo looks at my little one. He goes, you're way too young to know who I am. And my Alec said to him, yeah, I know who you, you are. You're a ruddle, right? <laughs> at which point he goes, unfortunately, I wasn't that lucky, son. <laughs> and... So then, so that's, that was a great moment to me anyway, but then cut to about seven years later, Ringo's having a party, his birthday party at um, Capitol Studios, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a lunch after in the studio, and I have a friend who's supposed to go, but they back out, so Alec, my son, goes with me. We walk in, and Ringo sees him, and this, is, this is, sums up my whole weird life to me, Ringo went up to me and goes, "Oh my God, I need this boy for a minute." He takes him by the hand and goes over and brings him over to Eric Idle and he goes, "Tell him what you said to me when you met me."
0: Oh my God! Stop! And,
1: and I thought, and I said, my son hates the story because I tell it all the time. But I go, if a beetle had walked my walked me over to go to a guy from Monty Python to quote something I said, my head would have exploded at that age. Because that's literally the epicenter of everything I love in my life is comedy, music, and there it is in one fell swoop. That's how weird my life has been.
0: That is crazy. You have rendered me speechless. No one has (laughs) ever- My head hurts. My head hurts. No one has ever rendered me, I can't even breathe. From this whole experience, <laughs> like I'm at that that time when you left Dylan and you had to go spend five hours processing what he said to you. That's what I'm going to have to do after this show because I cannot even believe the story because you just talked about every one of my heroes. So I just I apologize. I I, I my head is going to explode. This, this is this is the most fun I think I've had doing this. I thank you so much for doing this, David. My pleasure. Um.
1: Talking about me is very, very fun for me.
0: It, well, it was very fun for, fun me, for me, too. too. It, was, it was fun for us, too. Thank you so much. And thank for you. those of you out there, I hope uh, it had to be fun for you, too. And, and speaking of fun, next week Paul Prevents is going to be here. And, he's uh, fun. Uh, yeah. and, he's, and he's also fun. So yeah. there's going to be more fun. So, Louise, thank you so much. Thank David, you. thank you so thank much. You. Um, I loved every minute of this. And, uh, and thank you all. We'll see you next week.